If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. How do you do? Jen and Cam feel it would be unkind to present this program without a friendly word of warning. We are about to unfold our true crime podcast. A podcast of lifelong friends who seek to examine crimes which were committed without reckoning upon God. The discussion will be frank, and the subject matter will be of a grim and violent nature. I think it will thrill you. It might even horrify you. So, if there are young children listening, or if you feel unwilling to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Hi, Jen. Hey, Cam. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. We had our first little snowfall, which was super exciting for me because I love snow. So that was exciting. It didn't amount to much. It barely even covered the yard. So I know, but it was pretty watching. Just it come enough down and to stuff. get my freshly groomed dog all wet and have him smell again. Oh, so oh, yeah, it's Mother's Nature's little way of saying that she hasn't forgot about you, Jen. I know, I know. So I hear you have a case for us today. Of course I do. It's my turn, right? That's what mm. I have to do. Mm. That's the well. whole part of the podcast. Florida, but I do. This is a little shocking case. I will say that it's. There wasn't as much information as I thought there was, because when I went to go look up the court documents, it was sealed. Mm. But Mm. it's pretty interesting. interesting. Nonetheless, I think anyway, maybe you might not. We all don't know. The fact that they're sealed, that's interesting enough for me. On August 20th, 1979. Civil lawyer Wallace Schwartz gets a phone call at 2.12 a.m. When he answered, he heard 38-year-old Albert Fentress, in a low, emotional tone, tell him that he was going to kill himself. Albert was very upset, but still coherent. He still explains that a terrible thing had happened, and he was going to kill himself because he had killed someone. And since he couldn't square this all away with God, or he couldn't get right with God, he was going to kill himself. Albert Fentrist worked for years as a teacher with Wallace's mother, Enid, and Enid and Albert were good friends. 
Wallace had Albert as a teacher in the ninth grade. But after Wallace graduated from high school, he and Albert developed a very close friendship separate to the one that Wallace's mother and Albert had. They just would hang out together. They'd play sports. They'd just hang out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wallace said something to Albert, you know, I'm sure maybe it was just an accident. I'm sure it was an accident, you know. And Albert said, no, it wasn't. Albert said that there had also been a mutilation of a sexual nature as well. Wallace started telling Albert that, you know what, suicide's not the answer. It's never the answer. And he also said that, you know what, suicide would not square with God either. It's a sin, basically. And Wallace told Albert that he would come to his house in Poughkeepsie. You know, I'm an hour away. I'm in Hartsdale. I'm an hour away. I'll come to you. Just hold on. And Albert refused, just said no. So Wallace started to go through a line of people. Who can I get to come to your house? Who can I come talk to you? And Albert refused every single one of them, except he did say, well, you know what? I would like to talk to the local rabbi. Albert's not Jewish. And as far as anybody knows, he had only met the rabbi at Wallace's wedding. It was Hmm. the rabbi that performed the ceremony. Albert asked Wallace to call the rabbi and said, you know what? I'll leave the door open and I'll wait for the rabbi to arrive. Hug up. Wallace tried to call the rabbi, didn't get an answer, and he didn't know what to do. He called Albert back and said, you know what? Police need to be called. Albert agreed to call the police because I'll keep trying to call the rabbi. Kept trying to call the rabbi. No one answered. Wallace then decided to call his mother, Enid. As we know, Enid is friends with Albert. And she lived very close. Enid was just a few blocks over. Mm Mm-hmm. Alice Schwartz hung up the phone and called his mother Enid. And Enid, like I said, lived a short distance away from Albert. And Wallace explained to his mom what was going on and said, please call the rabbi. And Enid It's the middle tried, of the night, too, right? It's, Our early yeah, morning. it's like 2.30, 2.40. You know, yeah. it's the middle of the night. So Enid tried to call the rabbi. No luck. And so then she called Albert and said, what in the hell is going on, basically, right? Albert then said, I killed somebody. And then asked if she'd gotten in touch with a rabbi. And he's like, listen, you really need to call the police. The police need to be called. And Albert agreed. He hung up the phone. Enid once again tried to call the rabbi. Nothing. And then she called the police. Now, I know this is like a bunch of crazy stuff. And they're like, Jen, why are you telling me all this? Well, as we know, Albert already admitted to killing someone, right? Mm-hmm. He did go to court. He was charged with first degree murder. But when he went to court later, his lawyer would bring up that since Wallace was a lawyer, although civil lawyer, Wallace breached the client attorney privilege. I only mentioned this whole thing because later Wallace was accused of professional impropriety. Albert's criminal lawyer claimed that Albert's attorney client privilege was broken with Wallace when he called his mother. Right. Mm hmm. The appeal was dropped, and it was later found that Wallace's role in the situation was more as a friend than as an attorney. And it's really interesting. The judge through most of these trials that we will come to find out with Albert, his name is Judge Albert Rosenblatt. He later became a state Supreme Court justice. He wrote a paper called The People versus Fentrist in 1980 about this whole situation, and he stated that this was the most complex legal issue he ever had to face. And to quote from the article, Wallace Schwartz acted with exemplary 
fidelity to his client and to his moral responsibilities to society by doing as he did in offering the advice which the defendant patently accepted. He steered the prescribed ethical course fastidiously, big word, as if he had the very words of the ethics opinions before him by offering his client help and then by suggesting that the police be called in order for his life to be saved. Now, I'll list the paper in the show notes so everybody can read it. But it is really interesting. I mean, what would you do if, how would you act? Like, if I was a lawyer and you called me in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and you confessed to something, I'm acting more as a friend, not as your lawyer. Correct. Right? So that was like, it's pretty interesting if you read it. And of course, you know, with my big legalese brain, I understood the whole thing. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) But I suggest reading it. It is really interesting. All right. So back to our story here. At 3.15 a.m., three police officers arrived at Albert's home. And, of course, like he said, the door was already opened. One actually stood by the window and two walked up to the right as the beginning of the door. And they said that Albert acted, quote, perfectly normal. Inside, Albert was sitting on a footstool and he had the gun on his knees. And Albert said one officer asked if he had a weapon. And Albert said, officers, please come in and take the gun. And they wouldn't do it. And Albert didn't understand that (laughs) they wouldn't come in because he had the gun in his hands. Right. And Mm -hmm. they're not going to do it. So finally, they had to say, "Okay, Albert, put your hands on your face. So he did. And that's when they took the guns away. Mm. Once they were inside, they saw the body of 18 year old Paul Masters. There were two gunshot wounds to his head. And his sex organs had been removed. Oh, what? Yeah, let's talk about Albert now that I've wet your whistle. (laughs) Albert Fentress was born in 1941 in Brooklyn, New York. His childhood was pretty normal. And the only thing that was really mentioned about his family is that his father was tough. He was a big fan of corporal punishment or physical punishment. But, you know, I have a feeling that many were in that area. Mm -hmm. Or in that era, I should say. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my parents were born in 41 and they always talked about having to go out and get their own switch when they were in trouble so they could be spanked with the switch. So I don't think that would be too much of a big deal, but too much of a standout to say this is what caused him to be wrong in the head. But anyway, when Albert was 12, he and his family moved to Long Island Long Island. Long Island. I was dying to say that, and I wasn't going to, but you just did it. Yep. And Albert was very intelligent, very studious, and graduated in the top 10 of his high school class. Just pretty good since we smart graduated in the top bottom of our class. Three. Top bottom three. Top bottom three. <laughs> Close. I was top bottom third, I think. Albert went on, and we only had 10 kids in our classroom, but um, bump. No. All right. Anyway, Albert went to college and he earned two master's degrees, one in history, one in education. And in 1965, he took a job in the Poughkeepsie school system as a high school history and social studies teacher. Now, he would go from high school to middle school. Albert was very well respected and very well liked. He was one of the top teachers. So he got away with more than normal, I believe, what was said. And he was very trusted. And actually, he was so trusted, he took his students on a class trip 
to Russia for spring break in 1969. Imagine our spring break was like what to the state capitol for a couple hours on a school bus. Albert, as a grown up, lived by himself in a two story house and he was very meticulous with cleaning. Everything was had a space and every space had a thing, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Albert was a bit of a loner and he didn't have many friends and he was just didn't even have a romantic relationship with anyone. He was just kind of a lone wolf. And although he was well liked, there were rumors that, you know, he might have been gay mm-hmm. and he may have liked his male students just a little bit too much. But those were rumors. Albert was very attached to things, really attached to things. He drove a fancy Cadillac and even wore a Rolex. And he admitted later that one of the most pressing points in his life was when his Cadillac was in the shop to be fixed. He was sad that he couldn't be with it? That, yeah. Hmm. Weird, okay. huh? That detail wasn't ever gone into, but it was. that's just an odd thing to have, be depressed about. There's other things to be depressed about. Yes, I concur. I agree. As a hobby, Albert collected stamps, and he was a very proud owner of a very valuable collection. And on one occasion, Albert's house was robbed, and that stamp collection was stolen. And Albert, and, and you know, I mean, the man was depressed about his Cadillac. I can only imagine how he felt about his stamp collection. Do people still collect stamps? I need to know. I I'm wonder. sure they do. Okay, go people ahead. People collect everything. In his head, he just knew, you know, that kind of knew that this one student was responsible for stealing his stamp collection. And I mean, he even called and took a stand to have the student arrested. And I don't believe that was the student. It never really said. But when the friends of the student found this out, they retaliated and they harassed Albert and they vandalized his property. They cut his screens in his house. They threw eggs at his house. And one source said that the word fairy was burned in his yard, amongst other things. This event scared Albert, and it made him go out and purchase a thirty-eight caliber handgun. Hmm. Now we're going to get into what happened on the night of August 20th, and all of it is unclear. And like I said it before, the official documents were sealed, and there's so many versions about what happened. A lot of artistic liberty, I believe, was written. Either that or they're very vague. But like I said, as I delve deeper into newspaper articles, little bits and pieces started to come out about Mm -hmm. what actually happened. So if I feel it's embellished, I'll let you know. But I kind of kept everything out of it as it should be. That you thought wasn't. Yes. I got you. After midnight on August 20th, 1979, police had broken up a, quote, rumble that had been planned between the kids from the Spackenkill High School and the Poughkeepsie High School. They were going to fight, in case you don't know what Rumble is. Kids were going to have this huge fight at the school. Police heard about it. They broke it up. And once the police got there, kids just scattered. Well, Albert lived close to where this Rumble supposedly happened. So he woke up at around midnight to the sound of people running through his yard. Because he lived near the school where the battle was supposedly to take place. And of course, he's on edge. These kids have vandalized his house. He hears people in his house. Of course, he's going to wake up like that. Little while later, he hears another now about one o'clock's around. He hears something else. So he peeks out and he sees a kid crawling over his fence. So Mm. he goes out 
and that's where he sees Paul Masters. Paul Masters was 18 years old, and he's the youngest of four children to Bert and Barbara Masters. He had just graduated from Spackenkill High School, and there he played football and was very involved with the student government. The assistant principal of Paul's school, Lonnie Palmer, said that he was a tough kid, but not one of those that was quick-tempered. Quote, he was outspoken and kids listened to what he had to say. Others described Paul as being very bright and part of the popular crowd. And that summer, Paul, being a hard worker also, he worked at a home improvement company to make money for when he would go off to college that fall to the State University of New York at Albany. When Albert stepped outside, he kind of caught Paul off guard, and Paul was sure that Albert was going to just totally go off on him, right? But he didn't. He invited him into his home. And as far as I can tell, they didn't know each other. And later, after I wrote this, I was reading, and they did not know each other from Adam. But Albert offered Paul a beer. And I'm sure Paul was expecting Albert to be furious because he was trespassing through his yard. So he was probably taken aback when he was offered a beer instead of Albert totally yelling and berating him. So once inside the house, they started to have a little bit of small talk, I guess had a drink. And at one point, Albert mentioned that he needed help moving some plywood from the basement and said, hey, you know, Paul, would you please help me? It would be very kind of you. And Paul, being a nice, hard working kid, said, sure. Weeks prior to this, Albert would say that he had been obsessed with the movie Deliverance, mm, mm-hmm. which is always suspect, <laughs> I guess. Kind A little of bit, huh? On the way downstairs, Albert later said that he started to replay a scene from Deliverance in his mind. And it wasn't the good scene either. Mm. It wasn't the banjo scene. Once downstairs, when Paul's back was turned, Albert pulled out his thirty-eight revolver and told Paul to go stand by a pole so he could tie him up with a piece of clothesline. Once Paul was tied up, Albert started to sexually assault him. Some say he was raped. Mm. Others say he was orally sodomized. Mm. Don't know. Unsure. Unclear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was sexually assaulted. And all I can tell you for sure is the assault was unsuccessful, and that enraged Albert. Albert then took out a straight razor and cut off Paul's sex organs. Oh. This is, it's unsure. Some say he was just castrated. Some say Albert took everything. The penis, the scrotum, everything. Awful. And Paul, of course, was begging for his life, begging him not to do that. Either way, whatever happened, I don't know. It's unbearable. Just Mm. totally unbearable to think about. After Albert performed this horrible thing, he took a gun and shot Paul in the head. Albert then proceeded to walk up the stairs, go into the kitchen. He poured oil into a frying pan and cooked the mutilated genitals and ate them. What? Yeah. Why? It's never said why. Everything's been sealed. (laughs) Mm. After he finished eating, Albert went to the basement and saw that Paul was still breathing. So he shot him in the head the second time. Once Albert saw that Paul was dead, he untied Paul's body and dragged it up the stairs. It was then that Albert claims he snapped out of a dissociative fugue state and called his friend Wallace. 
And for those that don't know what a dissociative fugue state is, the Merck manual says that in a dissociative fugue state, people lose some or all memories of their past, and they usually disappear from their usual environments, leaving their family and job. It's a way the person's means of escape from the stress that they can't otherwise cope with. So thanks, Merck Manual, for that. Also, Breaking Bad, any Breaking Bad fans out there, that's what he claimed he had, which he didn't. But yeah. Who's he? Which I'm he? sorry, Walter White. I'm sorry. Walter White, main yes. character? Yes. After his arrest, Albert would tell doctors about how two days prior to the murder, he was in another dissociative fugue state. And that this time he had sat down in his desk and wrote in his journal a script-like story about a teenager being tortured and murdered. Pretty much what he just had done. Then he claimed that he came to, when he came to, he was horrified by what he written. And he was so horrified that he just burned it immediately. He claimed it was like another person had actually written it. But it seems it was almost like a blueprint of what actually took place. Kind of like his fantasies coming true, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. So at his trial in 1980, Albert Fentrist pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Pleading guilty by reason of insanity is extremely rare. I mean, we see it on TV all the time, but it's really rare. It's only 1% of all the court cases in the nation plead not guilty by reason of insanity and ones that actually win the case being not guilty by reason of insanity is only a quarter of that one percent they're still sentenced is that correct but they're they're sentenced to like a mental hospital instead of prison is that right they are right yeah okay right albert is actually found not guilty by reason of insanity so it's like it's pretty rare that this happens he lucked out i guess I would say he definitely wasn't in his sane mind at that time. Well, I think we could agree with that. At the trial, three psychiatrists testified that he was mentally ill when he murdered Paul Masters. But aren't they all kind of? Dr. William Johnston said, quote, I believe his mental state could be described as fragile for approximately two years prior to this incident. There's no doubt in my mind that he was psychotic. On December 29, 1980, Judge Rosenblatt committed Albert Fentress to the Mid-Hudson Forensic Psychiatry Center. And this is a maximum security facility for dangerous patients and the criminally insane. Albert was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and dissociative fugue states. Now, I'd like to note... That the only time that Albert received antipsychotic medication was in jail prior to his trial. And I'm not sure how he handled his time in this facility. It's never mentioned. One article said that he did become violent when a member of the hospital staff touched his thigh during a bed check. And he, quote, panicked and misinterpreted it as a homosexual type of advance. Why were they touching his leg? To wake him up, or it was a bed check to make sure he was there. I found this funny. In 1981, Albert was fired from his teaching job a year later. Stated reason, quote, conduct unbecoming to a teacher and the inability to perform his duties of his job. That was a year after? 
Yeah, the event happened in 79, August of 79, and in 81. I guess they, they just wanted to make sure he was, well, he was come tenured. back and sue him. Well, it, there was a legal battle between he wasn't getting paid. Mm-hmm. He was tenured and he wasn't getting paid his sick days or his vacation days or something. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. So there was a big legal battle. Anyway, Albert lost and he didn't get the money. <laughs> Shocker. I know. Thank God, right? In 1984, Albert went to court to see if he could get out of this maximum security hospital and go to a lesser security hospital. And doctors stated that Albert understood he had a mental disorder, but now he knows how to handle it. And Mm. thanks, all thanks to therapy, he's better now. Not better, but, you know, he can handle situations. He's not on medication, but he can handle it. He did win his case and he was transferred to a less restrictive hospital. There, he was allowed to go on escorted furloughs into the surrounding area. Like, he could go to the mall. He could go eat in restaurants. Here's my question. Who the heck's mm-hmm. going to volunteer to be his escort? Oh, they uh, loved him at the hospital. They loved him. They He could walk anywhere on the hospital campus. And yeah. there's no fence for, surrounding the hospital. For now. Uh-uh. Nope. Right? Mm. And. The staff loved him. They thought he was great. I mean, he was teaching classes with patients and staff. He became this computer whiz. He put out a newspaper or a newsletter at the hospital. And the whole time he was there, he never showed violence or suffered any other dissociative fugue state. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was this modeled patient. Mm -hmm. So much so that in 1997, lawyers of the Mental Hygiene Legal Service, quote, if you don't know, because I didn't. They are responsible for representing, advocating, and litigating on behalf of individuals receiving services for mental disability. And thank you, NewYorkCourts.org, for helping me find out who the mental hygiene service, legal service people are. So anyway, this mental hygiene legal service, they petitioned to have Albert Fentress go free, or at least he could live at the hospital, but go out into the community by himself without any escort yeah it sounds no let me just tell you everything that no. i've read every time that he has come up on trial the letters to the editors people go crazy as they should they don't want him out correct they do not want him out okay good okay good Ooh. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The state asked John Oldham 
who is the doctor and he's a psychiatry and behavioral sciences chairman and professor. They asked him to review Albert's records and to give an opinion on whether, you know, this would be a good idea. Hint, it's not. Dr. Ullman said that he was concerned about Albert since he wasn't on meds and he didn't know what could trigger another psychic episode. Quote, if he couldn't handle kids slashing his screens and burning his lawn, then how could he possibly handle the likely public reaction to his release yeah. after he'd been demonized in the media as, quote, New York's own Hannibal Lecter? Ugh. Yeah. Everybody, you know, when they when they have a strict schedule and they're getting their meds on time like they should, they're going to behave. Usually he's not getting meds. He's not getting meds. I think he just learned how to act. Oh, okay. Possibly. Hmm. And he didn't have any stressors. This was all caused by stress, remember? Yeah, but that's what my whole point was, is everybody can behave when you're in that structure, confined. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Anyway, it didn't go. It, he wasn't, he could still go on furlough with an escort, but he couldn't go out by himself or he couldn't leave the facility. And in 1999, Albert tried again. Now, this time he had been in the mental hospital for 20 years. And I found this kind of interesting, too, that if he would have been found guilty of first degree murder, the lesser, I mean, there's death, there's life without parole. The other, the third lesser one was mm -hmm. life up to 20, 25 years prison. Well, now he served 20 years in a mental hospital. Possibly he could have been out of jail by now mm -hmm. at 20 years. So Albert takes his case to court. This time he's going to go by trial by jury to see if he's going to be allowed to leave the mental hospital if he has served his time. The jury found him fit to release. No, they, they could release not. him out in the world. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, this made everybody angry. As it should. The attorney general and the Office of Mental Health fought to keep Albert from getting released. They argued that even though Albert seemed very mild-mannered, that didn't mean he was cured. They even stated they were worried that once released, he would be hard to track because he wasn't found guilty of his crime. He wasn't even charged with the murder. And he sure as hell wasn't charged for a sex offense mm -hmm. for the raping or whatever the hell he did. So he wouldn't have been in the sex offender registry either. He could just walk out and disappear and nobody would know. And who wants to have Albert Fentress as a neighbor? Uh, not me. Thanks. Yeah. No, thanks. Maybe he's so, a nice guy, but I don't want to find that out. Right. Well, the court overturned the jury's verdict findings. Verdict. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Albert was denied release, which honestly, it's a good thing, because like I said, nobody wanted him out. The only people that thought he would be OK to release was the hospital staff. And that was like 12 doctors. What I understand from reading is that under state law. Albert is eligible to request a hearing every two years to see if he's el eligible to be released. So he's had a lot of trials. So now we're in 2002. Albert went back to court to seek his freedom. And this time, prosecutions had two surprise witnesses. Two men took the stand and told the court of how Albert had molested them when they were 10 and 12. One of the witnesses was sent to Albert's house to be tutored in math. Instead of being tutored, he was orally sodomized by Albert at least 20 times in the spring and summer of 1979. 
that was right before Albert murdered Paul Masters. The other said he was a member of the after-school chess club that Albert was in charge of. Albert had invited him into the house for chess lessons or to learn how to play chess. The witness stated that it all started with tickling, and then later it came to inappropriate touching. And this was between September 1978 and 1979. The witness stated that he was molested at least 10 times. Mm. The prosecutors argued that since Albert had never told his therapist about molesting these boys, he was not completely truthful with them and could not be deemed cured or Mm. no longer potentially dangerous. When Albert's attorney asked him if he remembered molesting the boys, he said, quote, absolutely not. Then, when asked if he was denying that it even happened, Albert said, quote, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I just don't recall. The Ben's testimony convinced the state Supreme Court Judge James Catterson that Albert was not fit for release. Assistant District Attorney Edward McLaughlin said, quote, Mr. Fentress seems to be able to remember the details that help his case, but none of the details that hurt him. It's further proof of how dangerous he is. So not only was Albert not released, he was transferred back to the Mid-Hudson Psychiatric Hospital, which I said before, is a maximum security facility for dangerous patients and the criminally insane. And he is still there today. And in fact, every two years, like I said, he goes back to court to see if he can get out. But the last time he tried was in 2016. Of course, it didn't work. And then in 2018, he waived his right to a trial. He didn't go back to court. And he was supposed to be up again in 2020 last year. But of course, with this whole pandemic thing, it probably didn't happen. Nor was I able to find anything that even said that if he waived his trial or not. Yeah, he's in still in maximum security, which, you know what? He, he needs to be. Thank you. And the more I read into it, I'm really not for sure that he's insane. Is that the right word? He's faking it. Yeah. Yeah. He's faking it to get, I mean, that's what sociopaths do. Psychopaths. They they learn to fake it. Fake it to make it. I mean, he just seems that his fantasy kind of played out in reality. And then he's like, oops, Mm -hmm. I got caught. What can Mm -hmm. I do to get out of it? Mm Mm-hmm. So, well, I don't know. And look at it's him. easy for me to say because I I'm only reading newspaper articles, so I can. That's me passing my non-educated judgment on right. him. But to me, it seems very strange. Well, think about it: being locked up in a prison, twenty three hours a day in a cell, one hour in the rec yard, versus a mental institution where he's going shopping. I mean, right? You know, well, not any longer. Now he's in the the big time insane house i mean he maximum security he's in with the very dangerous Mm -hmm. of the insane Mm -hmm. where before it was pretty much just a country club i suggest reading it the people versus fentress the Mm -hmm. whole thing at the beginning that i said about Mm -hmm. attorney client privilege and Mm -hmm. when when does it cross when does friendship cross the line to Mm -hmm. client attorney it's yeah it's pretty interesting it's interesting to read Make sure you put it in the show notes if you can oh, wait, put a link to that. I've already got it down there. There mm-hmm. you go. That's awesome. Well, that is interesting. And hmm, I never really thought about that. That is true. No. Like if you had a lawyer friend and you did something, if you called them, if you know what. What it would be. Yes. There's also a 
woman who was a student of Mr. Fentrist, she wrote a book. There's a student of Mr. Fentrist who actually became a lawyer, and she wrote a book called The Midnight Call, and her name is Jody Millman, J-O-D-E, with the little ampersand over the E, mm-hmm. Millman. I think it's ampersand or accent, whatever. She wrote a book that focuses on that aspect of you're a lawyer and your friend calls you. What do you do? And oh. it's one, it's an independently published book and she's won awards for it. So I did buy it on Amazon. It was 99 cents and I'm looking forward to reading it. It looks really good. Well, I can't <laughs> wait. No, I'm just saying. Yeah, I'll that's... tell you all about it. But yeah, it looks really good. It's a work of fiction, but it's starts out with the midnight phone call. Okay, well, that's pretty interesting, Jen. Hey, you know what, Cam? You know what I noticed? What? Last week, we didn't talk about your Christmas. How did your Christmas go? It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> kind of boring, kind of, you know, but that's okay. It was yeah. low-key. Um, you watched all your TV shows, all your... I do that all the time. Goodness stuff? Pretty much caught up all the time, let me tell you. I did watch yesterday Bling Empire on Netflix. <laughs> And yes, don't judge me. I watched the whole series yesterday. Oh, we're judging you. That's I'm okay. Judging. Whatever. But it's about some Asian Americans, rich, like crazy rich Asians. What was that? That movie wasn't it? Crazy rich. Asians? Crazy rich. Mm-hmm. That funny one. movie. I like that one. So it, it's kind of. I think that's where they kind of got this from. So these are rich Asian Americans, but not all. Like some of them are. They moved to L.A. from their homeland. I guess it's, I don't know what you, their mother country, whatever you call. It. But um, <laughs> I can't liked it you know i mean it was dumb but i talk about people with a lot of money i need to be adopted by some of these people that's all i'm gonna say about that you know nice yeah we finally finished the crown yeah by the way it was Uh good i liked it Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. i know it's fictionalized but it's very interesting we've it's kind of now a joke in our family that everything we ask we always say in the name of the crown like in the name of the crown could you please go get me the bag of chips oh that's yeah yeah in the name of the crown, will you please pick up your wet towels? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's what we got out of it. <laughs> I like that. We're classy I like, like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I just We're watched. still planning to go to CrimeCon in London in June. And if you Camille's going. Buy, I don't know how I'm going to get there. It might be in a rowboat, but I'm going. Oh, we're going. Oh, we're going. If you want to join us, you can purchase a refundable ticket in case of the whole COVID thing doesn't go away. You can use our code OTCP. Not much else is going on, though. Just everything's been kind of boring, you know. It has. That's what happens with quarantine. I hope everybody out there staying healthy and, um, you know, doing what they need to do. The vaccines are coming. So that's good, I think. I hope. So anyway, that's it until next week, I guess, right? That would, yep. But until then, Jen... Remember, lock your doors. Keep passing by those open windows. Bye-bye. Love ya. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Jen. For more information about this episode, as well as all other sources, please check out our show notes or the podcast website at ourtruecrimepodcast.com. Our True Crime Podcast is developed and created by the hosts, Jen and Cam. 
Original music and audio mix of all our True Crime Podcast episodes is courtesy of Nico Fertese from We Talk of Dreams. You can reach Nico at wetalkofdreams.com. Listener discretion is provided by Edward October from Octoberpod VHS. You can find all of his great works on YouTube. Please make sure to like and subscribe to our True Crime Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We can be reached on Instagram and Facebook at Our True Crime Podcast or on Twitter with the handle at Our True Crime Pod. You can also email us at Our True Crime Podcast at gmail.com. We would also at this time like to thank our patrons. We would be so lost without you. Thank you so much. And if you would like to help support the show, you can check us out on patreon.com slash Our True Crime Podcast. You can also show your support by leaving a five-star review on Apple or simply just tell your friends about us. It's that easy. Love ya. Hey, Nico. Hi, Nico. I want to be first. You always get to say hi to him first. I tried it hard. Say it. Hi, Nico. There you go. You said it first. Woohoo. Thanks. Wallace started to talk Albert out of committing suicide. I, you're not. Do you know you're not supposed to say commit anymore? Why he commits suicide? It's not. It's supposed to be completed suicide. If they actually, well, that's the do attempted side. Commit this would be att- you go through with right. it, and attempted means you attempted it but failed. But you're right? not supposed. So. To, but you're not even supposed to say commit suicide. He's trying to commit suicide because commit is a legal term, I guess. And back when suicide was illegal. I don't know, but I think like after the fact you say completed suicide, I think completed means like you, it's a task that you need to do. do. Like, Ooh. did you complete your homework or, or did you, you know what I mean? Creepy. Yeah, I get it. I don't but, like it. Well, right. the, the, how we grew up was commit. You either commit or you, you know. Right. But you know how words and everything change lately? Mm-hmm. It's now yes, it's I do. commit is not the correct term. You're supposed to use completed. So he completed suicide? That sounds weird. It does. It's like, weird. It sounds I, like people are going to call us and be like, mm, what? And I understand them using commit. I understand not using that, but I do not like the term completed because it means it doesn't. I don't. I yeah, just but don't you like, like I'm in a committed relationship or I'm in a complete relationship. <laughs> like a completed I, relationship. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I get you. Alice Schwartz acted with exemplary. Alice Alex Wallet. Okay, you said Albert, then you said I know, Alice, Alice Schwartz. Isn't Alice Schwartz from, um, I'm thinking of somebody else. Ann B. Schwartz, who played Alice, is what I was thinking <laughs> of. God, my brain. All right. <clears throat> that last, it's more, cut that out, Rico. Nico, oh, Lord, listen to me. Rico? Rico <laughs> Suave, hello. You're Rico Suave, and I'm oh, sure you're Jen. not old enough to know who Rico Suave is, so... Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.